Hi everyone, I'm Paolo from Italy and uh, I'm so excited, excited for today because uh, it's very important uh, matches and uh, yesterday was great but uh, today will be better. Today we'll write the tennis history and uh, go Yannick, go Arnaldi, go Sonego, go everyone. Go! I hope is will be better. Okay, Ovaldo, I'm here with the legend of uh, it, tennis journalism, not just Italian journalism, Ovaldo, uh, and I want you to tell me, just tell me, what does this mean for Italy? Well, it means a lot because uh, we won only one Davis Cup uh, since 1922 when we started to play Davis Cup. We won it in 1976, which is 47 years ago. And we played the last final in 1998, mm -hmm. which is 25 years ago. So Do you remember that? Do you remember that final? Of course I remember. I remember <laughs> because Gaudenzi played uh, uh, and he uh, broke a tendon while he was playing against Norman. And that uh, was practically the end of that uh, tie because we could have beaten Sweden if we would have won that match. And uh, it was five all in the fifth. So, I mean, that, that was the end of it. So, and then I was also in 76 when we played in Chile. You were there? Uh, of course, and uh, uh, I was 26 years old. And uh, we, lost, we, won, we won in Chile, uh, uh, where Panata and Barasudi were honestly stronger and better than, than the Chilean, where the good uh, tennis player Jaime Fiol, but a sort of uh, not uh, not of the same level second second player Pato Corneo. Uh, we actually won the Davis Cup more in the semi-final, beating Australia because Australia Ooh. had uh, uh, John Newcomb, Tony Roach, and uh, and uh, John Alexander who was a sort of uh, player that the Italians were never able to beat. So legends of the game you've just mentioned, and also a familiar foe in Australia playing them today. Give us some sort of thoughts. You told me just now, just you just zoomed out and you said, if it goes 1-1, we lose. Yeah, I, I'm afraid so, because the, the, the Australia have uh, a pair, uh, we don't know yet who will play, but Ebden and, uh, and Purcell have won Wimbledon last year, and they won five matches out of six in five sets. Uh, also saving match points, but they're very strong, while the Italians, uh, they have won two doubles here, but Sinner had always lost his doubles before coming here and he is uh, uh, not a real specialist. He, he is hitting the balls with tremendous power. I think nobody in, uh, today in the tennis world plays with his power, but he is a player who plays doubles playing from the baseline. And uh, if you have a wall uh, of volley players uh, in front of you, it's tough to to break them. You have to sing the, the song of the Pink Floyd, breaking the wall. Anyway, I guess it's still Forza Italia, though, right? You want you you, you Italy needs this. They, they want well, this. Well, of course, we need the, them to win. We have to see if the young guy Arnaldi is capable to. Do you to think that's the right choice, Arnaldi? I think. I think. Uh, well, I think so. But I think so too, only because Sonego had some uh, physical problems before this time. 
So Musetti uh, as well. Musetti cannot play because of his pro- physical problem, which arose uh, the other day yesterday. Uh, and Son got problems before coming here, so they don't want to take a chance to make him play two matches one after the other. So since they produce a good tennis enough in doubles, they keep him uh, for the for the doubles. But uh, I am not sure that Arnaldi will be popular. In. I, it's a very open match. All right, Forza Italia. Forza Italia, of course. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember when I was, you know, living in Sydney. I grew up in Australia, so in the '90s it was all about. Rafter, Philippusis and the Woodies and being a huge doubles lover I just really loved the Woodies and I would just, you know watch as much as I could I, you know, of course going for the Aussies in any match that they would play, Wimbledon and all of that um, but when it comes to Davis Cup I also remember I had moved to London so in 2003 I was kind of watching the results come in and I saw that the Aussies, you know, we were able to do it Thankfully, I think it was with Philip Pusserson and Hewitt that year. Um, and maybe Todd Woodbridge, I can't quite remember. But yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. So I was happy about that. Um, and then we made it to the finals last year, so I was kind of stoked. That was really cool. It wasn't meant to be. I think Canada were just too good on the day. And then this year, again, I came to Malaga. I've got my Aussie jacket on and wearing the green and gold. Um, and... Yeah, just now I've been watching that first match um, with Alexi Popper in and thinking, come on. But it wasn't meant to be. A lot of breakpoint opportunities. I was quite nervous. But, you know, you can't win them all. And, uh, yeah, but it was so close. They could have won that third set, I think. And I was just like, oh, bloody hell. Just get one of these breakpoints. <laughs> but like I said, it wasn't meant to be. So let's see what happens with Alex. Um yeah, in any case, I really, really think this is a good team and hopefully maybe even Nick can come back next year. And with Kyrgios in the team, we might even um, be able to snatch a title. Let's see what happens. So the two voices you just heard are from two journalists, actually. They're journalists, fans. I can say that they're both, but they are two journalists who are attending the Davis Cup and were able to send us little voice memos about their experience um, at the Davis Cup. How are you doing now? Oh, I'm doing great. I've just watched the Davis Cup final. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was exciting. So, yeah, always good to see how these sort of big events to curtail the season kind of uh, go down for the men's tour. Anyway, it's it, it's tiding me over while there's yeah. no women's tour. Um, so yeah, if you're just joining us and thinking, what are they going to talk about this week? It's going to be the Davis Cup. It's been quite a tournament. Um, I think the Davis Cup had uh, it, it's been in a little bit of a slump. I think, and this year it just flew out of the gates and you know got me all excited for the Olympics. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, let's start from the beginning. Nick, what is what is the Davis Cup for someone who has no idea? The Davis Cup is um, what markets itself as the World Cup of Tennis. Um, and essentially, it is one of the few opportunities a male tennis player gets to uh, play for their country. So it's a team event. 
and we talked about the Billie Jean King Cup, right? So this is kind. So this is the male the male version, version of the Billie Jean King Cup, yes, uh, which we talked about mm. before. Um, we may have also given you a bit of a an insight into team events and kind of our whole "This is what tennis is" episode. Um, a couple, I think, it would have been episode one or episode two, maybe. We've done a lot by this point. Yeah, yeah, and essentially, it's um, there's a team of usually five players, um, and they're all representing um, each country. This week, the finals took place, which is just the top eight, so the quarterfinals onwards. Imagine if you are if you follow the um, the football World Cup, the soccer World Cup, depending on which country you're listening from, where usually you have a group stage which leads into a last sixteen, and then it's a knockout tournament from there. Um, they, 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 the group stages decide the quarterfinals, but the group stages were held back in September. Um, so this is just the finals. So it helped, took place in Malaga in Spain over the course of a week, um, to decide the winner of the trophy, um, which has a long history. It's been around since 1900. I was surprised by that. That's 123 years. It's a really, really old event. Especially when you consider that the Billie Jean King Cup, um, which was once known as the Federation Cup, has been around since the 60s. Yeah, wow. So so the Davis Cup has been going on for longer. Do you think, does that have anything to do with when the WTA was founded? Well, the WTA was founded in the 70s. So even before. So, okay. Well, I guess with everything on the sort of men-women's divide, you know, sometimes the, the women get started a little bit later, but they're, they both now have this sort of World Cup of Tennis event on both, on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an event that I think has a lot of love. Uh, well, they are events, both of them, have a lot of love within the tennis community, maybe older fans, um, definitely among journalists. Um, I think players, particularly if they're lower ranked players, actually really appreciate it as an opportunity to showcase what they can do. Um, And, you know, every athlete wants the opportunity to play for their country. And yeah, they have the Olympics every four years, but uh, tennis is actually unique in that they have their World Cup every year, unlike other sports, which is every four. So um, it's an opportunity for uh, various nations to, to show off who how strong their roster of players are each year. Yeah. And I I think for me, what I have always loved about the Davis Cup, because tennis is such an individual sport, it's really interesting seeing them in a team format situation where they have one coach who's called a captain. And then, you know, I think he said there were five players on each team. Um, who come together and have to win this tournament together. So, and I, and I love it. You, you mentioned this too, where you get to see players that you don't usually get to see on tour because again, you know, not picking on any country, um, in particular, but if you just want to take Finland, for example, who were, um, in, in the finals this year, you know, they have one player who you might have heard of. Emil Rusevori, you know, you might have heard of him. But then what about the other four players? Have you heard of them? Do you know who they are? Are they good? And a lot of them are really good, but they don't get that sort of notoriety on tour because they are lower ranked players. And Davis Cup is the time they get to shine and show off how good they are. And watching it, you always want to see, you know who I want to see next year on tour? Otto Verten, who was on the Finland team, who I had never seen on main tour before and watched him for the first time um, because of the Davis Cup. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity. I mean, like I first saw Denis Shapovalov at a Davis Cup event. That's where I first uh, picked up a diagnosis of him. Um, British players, because um, in the UK, they only really broadcast any Davis Cup matches involving GB. It's where I've heard about, it's where I heard about Cam Norrie for the first time. Um, when he, it was basically where he came on the scene, actually, um, yeah. in a very, very famous tie with the US, I think. He, and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this guy and see how he progresses. Um, and lo and behold, he's now the highest ranked British player, top 20 in the world, has won the Indian Wells tournament. So yeah, it's always a great uh, chance to do it. It's also a great opportunity to uh, be an exhibition for doubles and how good doubles can be, because I feel like actually... People care most about doubles when it's Davis Cup. Maybe I'm speaking just purely from a British perspective here. Um, but certainly that's the, even when it's Wimbledon, doubles doesn't get mentioned in as high regard until it gets around to Davis Cup time. And do you think, I mean, this is something I hope we talk about later in the future, but do you think it's because to, it, at Davis Cup, a lot of singles players have to play doubles because they're representing their country and maybe their country doesn't have a double specialist who is usually on tour as a doubles player. Do you think it's because singles players play doubles? Um, and I'm picking on this Davis cup finals where we had Yannick Sinner playing doubles and Novak Djokovic playing doubles. There might be an element of that. I think it's simpler than that, to be honest. And I think this will feed into our conversation that we eventually will have about doubles, which is People attach themselves to a team name, a team brand, and that nation, and that brand is your nation. Mm. And so it's like, oh, I'm supporting Team GB. Whereas in tennis, it's like, I am supporting two players who happen to work together a little bit. Um, right. Like if I think about yeah. British tennis fandom, which I am sort of, I'm not necessarily deeply involved in, but I observe. You know, there's a few people who who like Joe Salisbury, the British doubles player. We'll root for him regardless of who his partner is, but they kind of hope he's got a good doubles partner. Yeah. Well, again, so Davis Cup has been really great. I think part of why we do this particular podcast is for the fans, for people getting into tennis, but also to sort of provide a tool. If you want to maybe visit a tournament in the future or you want to know more about a tournament, um, we would like to hopefully give you color and sort of what it's like to be on the grounds at Davis Cup or any other tournament. So we are going to be joined right now by John Silk, the one and only John Silk of the Talking Tennis Network, I'm going to call it. There is a podcast. There is a YouTube channel that streams matches all the time. They also host two podcasts, ATP Weekly and WTA Weekly. We both contributed to um, Talking Tennis. But we are going to bring John on, who is at the Davis Cup. And this is what he has to say. So what has the Davis Cup tournament been like uh, this year? Well, I, I, I must say, I, I felt a sense of anticipation uh, this year. I mean, last year, unfortunately, the tournament... Uh, by the way, if you hear some random voices in the net background, it's just fans negotiating their way uh, through the sort of fan zone here, which, by the way, is fantastic, uh, and into the stadium. Um, that's uh, somebody rolling their luggage as well. I don't know where they're off to, but whatever um yeah so it's been sensational this year um and i and i felt that even before the tournament it was building up you know um with the with the different nationalities that are here with hola como esta si todo bien 
Um, I felt the the vibe was, uh, so that's just one of the security guys that I know. Um, with Finland being here, Great Britain being here, um, Italy and Serbia as well. The the vibe I knew that they were going to bring. Novak and Yannick, of course. I, I don't save the tournament. I think it was, still would have been fine with, with just these nations being here, but they boost it tenfold, if, if you like. So the stadium has been somewhere between 70 and 100% full for pretty much every encounter. And the vibes at the Finnish gate brought in particular was fantastic. Five, 6,000 fans here. And yesterday, of course, we had the, what may end up being the crescendo of the tournament. Let's see how Australia and um, Italy pans out today. Um, if that goes to a deciding you know, set tiebreak in the doubles, then that may well be seen as the crescendo. But we had the Yannick Sinner, Novak Djokovic show yesterday and arguably the Sinner show won out. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been just been fantastic. And great news is going to be held in Malaga again next year. <coughs> I do get that uh, this tournament should, you know, eventually be spread around the world. And I do actually think that this this format, much criticised, can actually end up working if it's in a location where there is plenty of tennis uh, interest, such as Spain. Of course, this year, we don't forget we didn't have a host nation here, and yet we've still had a sensational tournament, um, which is basically defined by the fans and the atmosphere within, and, and that's been, as I say, fantastic. Um, and yes, uh, just touching on, on you know, outside of the tennis arenas, plenty of stuff to do. There's, you know, there's a, I'm just looking at it right now. There's a um, sort of sofa and, and cushions area and pillows that people can chill out on. There's obviously drinks you can buy. You can't take drinks into the venue, which... I know <laughs> certainly upset certain fans. Uh, there's ping pong. There's sort of a mini tennis court as well. There's a Davis Cup sign that sort of people are having photos by. Um, so yeah, I mean it's opposite the football stadium as well, a little bit outside the city centre, but it's got a metro station within two or three minutes. It's just perfectly set up to host a tennis event. I mean the indoor arena as well hosts about ten thousand people. It's obviously a set up to, to host concerts and all sorts of things which of course not every city in spain has um so seville for example doesn't have such an arena which is why they have sort of a temporary show but of course i see seville is going to be hosting the billy jean king club again next year there we go yeah just a little thing little reminder to make sure that all the bars are closed go inside uh there's an amazing show about to begin so they obviously want to clear this area and just get people inside People then sort of filter back out at the end of each match because there tends to be anything between 20 and 60 minutes between each match. So that is exciting. Um, and anything else? So, yeah, I, I certainly would endorse this tournament remaining here and, and it will be for, you know, for next year. And um, I don't want to sound too Eurocentric because I do think the tournament can and should be spread around. And I think the US would be a fantastic host, as would other, uh, you know, tennis orientated nations for now. But um, but let's let's grow this format. And as I say, I'm not one. That I think this this 18 sort of format with knockouts as well. It's 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 cutthroat, but it's fascinating and and uh, pulsating. How about that? Anyway, uh, that's all for now. And uh, oh, I, I believe the prices are reasonable. But of course, uh, as a as a person with a press pass, I must say um, I'm not exactly sure what they cost. But I know that they were certainly very reasonable for the Billie Jean King Cup. I think about fifty fifty dollars a day. Um, and uh, I think it's something similar here. But I'm sure uh, maybe somebody can verify that. Anyway, over and out.
I'm now about to go inside and watch the first encounter uh, between Australia and Italy, which is going to be Arnaldi up against Popwin, which I think is the right choice for both teams. So just as a viewer, because obviously I'm not live at Davis Cup, I'm watching from home. The atmosphere in Malaga has seemed off the charts. Do you remember a Davis Cup like this in the recent, you know, past? Again, so I this is the first Davis Cup finals that I've really, I guess, had an opportunity to watch the final of. Like the BBC, this is the first time mm-hmm. the BBC in the UK actually broadcast the final regardless of whether GB was going to be in it or not. Mm. Uh, and the only ties I could really, I can watch on the Davis Cup unless I'm willing to pay for a specific subscription service is GB ties. So um, I would say if I've seen a GB tie in GB, the atmosphere is very different. If I think about the group stages in Manchester, that was rocking because everyone was rooting for Team GB. And especially since the way they got I remember those bucket hats. Yeah, they get through the group stages. Uh, The the way they got through the group stages was pretty dramatic. Um, They almost lost a critical match and they managed to get through it. It was a doubles one, actually. So I'd say in terms of atmosphere... It's kind of what we're used to with the Davis Cup, with kind of fans from different countries coming to the stadium. And actually, something we need to bear in mind is usually with most tennis events, there's an expectation that everyone's kind of well behaved. Whilst there is still an expectation that no one makes any noise during actual play, people are much more okay with um, things being a bit more noisy, a bit more like... A, a kind of a more traditional, like a, a sports game that you might recognise. Um, although it has to say, if you make a noise to um, put off um, the person on the other team, um, then your team actually loses a point. That's actually a Davis Cup rule. It's very rarely implemented because the crowds know well enough um, to not mess around uh, because they know they could accidentally lose their team points. But that is something else to bear in mind is the atmosphere is very different to everything else, which is one of the reasons why I would actually, if you are thinking of attending a tennis event, Davis Cup or Billie Jean King Cup actually would be a very good one to go to. Yeah, I'm going to insert a clip here um, just of John letting us know what the atmosphere was like at the no at the Serbia Italy semifinals, because he said something and you could almost feel the excitement in his voice where he said, you know, in his time watching live tennis, he has never been in a louder stadium. By the way, I don't know if you can hear this, okay, ahead with all the uh, noise around. I'm inside the stadium now, um, just a few minutes away from the first match being in the way. But I just want to say that the noise, and I know I mentioned it on last night's show, but the noise after... The match points were saved, Sinner breaking, and then Sinner winning that match against Djokovic. I will never forget. I will never forget that. And, you know, to be able to experience something like that, I think there is something about cheering for your country um, that maybe, and the way the Davis Cup, you know, if you've watched um, any sort of match from the Davis Cup, you'll see people with drums and trumpets and flags waving everywhere. I can only imagine what that experience is like. 
you know, it's almost like maybe what Yannick Sinner experienced when he was playing in Turin, but because that was his home tournament, you know, it must be how Alcaraz feels every time he plays in Spain kind of thing. But this is all brought together for Davis Cup. And, you know, it's really funny, too, because Spain actually did not make the finals <laughs> of the Davis Cup, but it's it was hosted in Spain. Um but the atmosphere was still there for the for the players. Their country um, men sh- showed up for the event. Yeah, which for Italy was fairly easy. Um, bit of spoilers. Yeah. Uh, those in the final. Sorry, I forgot we weren't going there yet. Um, but uh, yeah, easy enough for one of the countries, not so much for the other one. Uh, but they still got a very good... Actually, no, it's not spoilers. You listened to the clip earlier. Um, easily enough for East Italy... Not so easy for Australia, who were in the final and were competing in the final. Uh, but, you know, Aussie tennis fans are used to having to travel all over the place. Um, and, uh, well, the hardcore Aussie fans, I suspect most are probably fine to just wait until January when all of our it, tennis just lives in Australia for a month. Right, right. And, you know, it's a point to where um, that John brought up because, you know, kind of discussing Davis Cup, you know, the format of it. The format has changed. I think it changed in 2019, if I'm correct, yeah. from how it usually was. And the finals of the Davis Cup is going to be held in Malaga. They announced today that it will be back in Malaga again for next year. And, you know, John mentioned, you know, it would be nice if the Davis Cup wasn't always Eurocentric. You know, maybe sometimes the fam- the the um, finals could be in South America or the Americas or Australia, even Asia. It could move around. For right now, it is going to be in Malaga. And I think, though, that gives fans the opportunity to plan, to get ahead of the game. I was looking at tickets for the the matches. They're kind of in that sort of $50 to $100 range. Um, I happen to have been to Malaga before on holiday, and it is a gorgeous place to be at. So you're not only going for the tennis, it's almost like you can plan a whole vacation. You know, you go for the tennis. You also have a great city that you can, that's by the water um, that you can um, be in as well. So I, I think having the Davis cup final in one location is actually helpful for fans and maybe people watching how exciting this finals was We'll get excited for next year and, and we'll we'll plan to be there. I think it's exciting enough if you're a neutral fan um, who wants to plan to go to the event. It might be a bit different if you're only going to support your country and you may not find out. You, you won't find out until September whether your country is going to be in in the Davis Cup. September to November is not too bad a planning turnaround, but... It's not ideal, especially since, you know, a year in advance for flights and things is going to be cheaper than two months, Um, especially if you live somewhere like the US or Australia. Uh, But it's, uh, you know, people are willing to to do that, I suppose. But yeah, don't think the Davis Cup finals is the only place you can go. Yeah, if you want to go and check out the vibe, yeah, book your tickets, start planning a a, a Spanish holiday in November. Um, But if you... Not bad. <laughs> no, but if you want to check out other Davis Cup matches, you know, there are qualifying events that happen in like April time. And then there's, uh, is it April? March, maybe more. Yes, it is April. It's it's April. They announced today, actually, the draw for next year's um, 
qualifying matches they announced today for the for both okay for both Jilly, Billie Jean King Cup and the Davis Cup and I'll put a link in our description um for you to go see it because Nick is right they they have kind of um indicated what cities will be hosting each qualifying match so that should be fun if you just want to get a vibe and in the idea the host will be one of the nations involved in the match mm-hmm. if you want to go I don't know where I don't know where where's the US at or is it already in the group stage the US I will have to pull it up let me give you one so second the G- and I'll pull G- it up. already in the group stage because I, I don't know the demographic of our listeners but I'm assuming we've got some British listeners and some American listeners and like so by the way if you're not from one of those two countries please tell us so that we can make sure that we cover um your um anything that it, 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 your, your country when we do these podcasts uh, but yeah, uh, GB is already in the group stage and will be hosting one of the group stage matches. Um, so um, most likely. So you, you know, if you're a British fan, you know, September's pretty much sorted. You know, you're going to be there. So yeah, I will also post this image actually to our social media channels as well. So everyone can take a look, but the U S is playing versus the Ukraine. And right now the Ukraine is listed as the host but they also put a little star next to that. So basically they've indicated who the hosts are and then put a star next to, to be decided actually. And you might know why, because um, right now due to the unrest in Ukraine, I don't really think the match will happen there, but who knows? So I will post this image to, to our social media so you can take a look, but they've kind of listed who's playing against who and where they'll be playing. I was also wrong when I said earlier, the qualifiers will actually be happening in February for the Davis Cup and April for the Billie Jean King Cup. Right. Yeah. February makes sense. Yeah. And so um, that US versus Ukraine, that's Davis Cup. That's Davis Cup. And then US versus Belgium. For Billie Jean Belgium, King Cup. the Billie Jean King Cup. Okay, mm-hmm. US versus Belgium could be interesting because Belgium's got a couple of interesting players. Um, but I do yeah. think the US it will be very much advantage US in in both those ties. Um, to be honest, um, and is the US hosting Belgium in the Billie Jean King Cup? Yes, they are. Yeah. So actually, there you go. Keep an eye out to see if the US Ukraine tie gets moved to the US. If you're an American listener, but also you know check out how easy it would be in April to go and see the US women taking on the Belgian women, um, which actually that would have been a very juicy tie 20 years ago. Um, for those who know your history, like um, 20, literally 20 years ago, the top four players in the world were Amer- like two of them were American, the Williams sisters, and two of them were Belgium, Justine Ennan and Kim Kleisters. Um, both of them are multiple. That would have been interesting. <laughs> that would have that would have been spicy. What if they make them the captains? Oh, too early to think, but. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think Serena would be Billie Jean King Cup captain. I don't think that's something she would do. Venus might. Yeah, Venus and Kim Kleisters. <laughs> Maybe. That would be Maybe. fun. Maybe. I'm just going to put it out there. I'll put it out there. Kim might already be captain. I don't know. Oh, really? Who knows? But that would be great to see, Tennis Gods, if you could make that happen. That would be awesome. Um, But let's touch a little bit on the Davis Cup that happened this week, because it was exciting, to say the least. Because we got, for the third time in two weeks, Novak playing Sinner in a match. 
Could we have asked for anything more? Well, turns out, no, because, okay. So <laughs> by the way, given we recorded this every two weeks, obviously the Davis Cup has just finished. There was another tournament last week, which was the ATP finals. True. Um, and, yes, that we um, haven't even talked about. <laughs> we, we didn't even talk about. Everything's been about the Davis Cup. Like Anastasia is so obsessed with the Davis Cup right now. Her, um, her nails are painted to match the color scheme of the tournament um, right now. Uh, so um, that might end up on social media. Who knows? Uh, the, <laughs> but so, yeah. So in the, in the ATP finals, Djokovic and Sinner got drawn in the same group and they played there and Yannick Sinner won in a very, very exciting match. The, then they played again in the final because they both qualified from the group. They won the semifinals and then played again in the final in a rematch Djokovic squashed Sinner, um, really. Um, Djokovic kind in of... In such a decisive way. I mean, it yeah. wasn't even... It was such a squash. Sinner was kind of coming at him <laughs> towards the end, but it was a little too, but it was too late by that point. Um, and yeah. then uh, then they met again in, the, in a semi-final tie between Serbia and Italy, representing their countries. And in that one, Sinner won in three sets, having saved three match points against Djokovic, which Djokovic has not lost from having match point in a very, very long time. I don't even know when the last time was that that happened. Same. It's just not something you even think about. No. The overall breast match of the three was probably um, the round robin match, but the most dramatic was probably the Davis Cup match. Yeah. Again, tennis moves so quickly. So yes, I know we haven't talked about the ATP finals and all that happened there. But literally it was all about Djokovic and Sinner at the ATP finals. Exactly. So it is kind of just a repeat of, of um, that situation. So we will leave that aside for now. But yeah, I don't think I was expecting this to happen again. I think Italy did a very good job getting out of the quarterfinals into the semifinals. I think um, I not that I didn't expect them to, I just knew it was going to be a hard, a hard road ahead for them. And especially after they lost their first match of, of, um, of that quarterfinals and it had to go to a deciding doubles. And when you have a deciding doubles, I think, you know, they were playing the Netherlands and the Netherlands had, um, Oh, uh, Wesley Kulhoff. Yeah. So he was on the team in the doubles and you're just thinking, can Sinner and Sonego do this? And Sinner and Sonego were partnered um, to play doubles. Um, they are singles specialists. They're not doubles specialists. So I didn't know how that was going to go. So that was an exciting match to watch and, and see them get through. But then when they came up against Serbia, you thought, okay, great. It's really great to see Sinner and Novak again, but this must be a bridge too far, right? Wrong. Sinner saved three match points in what is was such a fun match. If you can find it to watch or even even watch the highlights. Yeah, I can't remember where I saw the highlights, but maybe it was the Davis Cup. If I can find them, I will post them. Um, I'll post a link to them so you can watch. But it, they, it, it was a really great match. And I think Sinner has sort of, you know, leveled up in this because i think even if even after the atp finals you know we were like great end to the season like i mean couldn't have been better 
You beat Djokovic in the round robin. You lost to him in the finals, but hey, expected. You still did a great job. After he beat him at the Davis Cup, I mean, that was just another level. I think he's greatly improved um, this end of... Like, he's just playing incredibly like you know I kept saying I want the the Australian Open to start now (laughs) so we can see what he looks like at a Grand Slam but I'm really excited to see that oh I'm excited too um I mean I was thinking about this earlier like Sinner is now a Masters 1000 champion on the tour the level below Grand Slam and he won it without having to face any of his big rivals the other three Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev but then he won Tokyo by beating Medvedev. The tour finals, um, the ATP finals, like he beat everyone and except Djokovic when he had to play them yeah. a second time. Uh, but yeah, he'd beaten Djokovic and Medvedev there. Like, and they were players that he had a, a negative, like he was previously, like more often than not, they would beat him. Like he hadn't beaten Djokovic before. Um, and he yeah. had struggled to beat Medvedev before. So to turn it around like that, is exciting. And so I'm keen to see not just how he does in Grand Slams, but then when we get round to the Sunshine Double in Indian Wells and Miami in March, you know, how is he going to do there in a Masters 1000? You know, that's the next opportunity if the Australian Open doesn't work out. But at the minute, based on what we've seen and like the tour finals itself was enough, there are four players going into Australia who are the overwhelming favourites to win it. The final is going to probably involve two of them and it's going to be exciting to see which one it is. Um, those players being Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz, Daniel Medvedev and Yannick Sinner. So Italy meets um, Australia in the finals of the Davis Cup finals. As of record, as we're recording this, that final finished two hours ago. Yep. So if you're listening to this, you already know who did it. And Italy won um, the Davis Cup. And again... You know, I think we've talked about Sinner a lot. I think one thing about this Davis Cup final, even though, you know, he's playing great, he's doing so well, um, I think the leadership that he showed and also just the teamwork, especially watching him play doubles with Sonego and all all his interactions with the team, he's really come out of this as a leader. You know, I think... Even there are other top players of countries, you know, let's take Sitsipas, for example, or Carlos Alcaraz. I would never look at them and think, oh, well, that person can go lead a team. But Sinner really, for me, came out of this Davis Cup looking like a team leader. Yeah. A, a lot like Novak, you know. Novak is clearly the team leader of Serbia. And I think, of, you know... Yannick kind of did that for Italy, which which I thought was was really great. He he seems to have matured a lot, which I like. Oh, that's clear from this season. I mean, it, I think he always had a mature mindset, um, to be honest, but he has definitely grown. I think his game's matured as well, to be honest. I think that's been the key thing is it has gone up to that next level. And I think we haven't seen it up to this point before because he had a 2022 that had a few, he had a quite a few injuries during which I think slowed his progress down. I think if he hadn't had so many injuries in 2022, we'd have seen this version of Sinner by this time last year um, or even earlier this year. Um, so I, I think he, he's now where he belongs um, in the um, in the pecking order. And uh, yeah, long may it 
continue. Um, so yeah, Yannick Sinner, team leader of Italy, he's probably going to be coming back for more uh, next year as defending champions. Um, I don't remember what team last successfully defended the Davis Cup, but it hasn't happened very often in the modern era. I, I think that will be exciting to see him coming back out for Davis Cup in the future. But let's face it, I think any Yannick Sinner match is now uh, worth keeping an eye on. By the way, talking of teamwork, we need to talk about sort of, you know, at Davis Cup being um, an opportunity for unsung heroes to come out. Matteo Arnaldi, who has recently broken into the top 50 in the world rankings, he was critical to Italy winning that final because he won a very, very evenly matched opening match with Alexei Papirin, which that one was a really tough ground out win because they both play very similar. They're both very similar level. That one could have gone either way. Um, and actually, Arnaldi, given how young he is, he's about Sinner's age, but he has less Davis Cup experience because his rise hasn't been as, as quick, has meant that, you know, there was a bit of a risk putting him in, but he's done the team proud. Yeah, and not not only that, he lost his semi-final match. So, no, no quarterfinals. He, he, was, he lost the quarterfinal match and he still got put in, um, which I think, you know, is even more of a boost for him that yeah. he he got the call up a second time around and then was able to sort of back it up and and actually win his match. So, yeah, you know, and just a little word for Australia because I know, you know, it's been in the news even just from his his press conferences. I think Leighton Hewitt ever since he became captain of the Australia team has been wanting to win the Davis Cup and they've been so close twice now. They won the final last year as well. They lost to Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finalist again this year, so it um, it must hurt a lot to be in that situation. And again, they played really well up until the finals. Popren again very evenly matched up with Arnaldi, tried his best, but the matchup between Alex de Menor and Sinner, which was the second, which was a second singles match, is so one sided. Their head to head is so one sided. So. You kind of, by winning that first match, Matteo Naldi pretty much won the Davis Cup for his team um, because the head-to-head against De Menor, um and Sinner is so one-sided. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and that's what uh, sort of the vibe was that that was effectively the decider. I mean, like, De Menor could have put something off maybe like I wouldn't be surprised if he does get a win against Sinner one day but given the form Sinner was in that wasn't likely you know Alex Dimonor still had a great season by the way you know I think he's like just knocking on the door of top 10 um which is about where his potential is I think he's number 12 actually at the minute Um he's going to go into yeah, Australia for 11 no Hubie is 11 right yeah yeah no, Hubie's nine but it's, he's he's right there Hubie's nine uh yeah it's Hubie nine um, Fritz 10 um, Rude 11 and then Diminor 12 Okay so that was the Davis Cup um, what's next do you think oh the season's done there's one more <laughs> one more event <laughs> one more event um, the next gen finals is coming up We've described this a little bit. I think when we we broke down different sorts of tournaments, we talked about the next gen. But quick summary, Nick, what's the next gen finals? 
the ATP Next Gen Finals are the top seven ranked players aged 21 and under on the ATP Tour, uh, plus one wildcard, usually. I think what we need to caveat with this is that they're not actually going to put the top seven in because four of them aren't playing. Um, so they've gone down, yeah. found the next four. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, um, the reason they're not playing is, well, the people who qualify in this group still include Alcaraz, Runa. I think Ben Shelton was part of that group as well. Yeah. And they're doing, you know, I don't think Alcaraz can go into next gen. And Lorenzo Musetti. And Lorenzo Musetti. And all three, Runa, um, Alcaraz and Lorenzo Massetti have already participated yeah. in the next gen before. I mean, Alcaraz won it. Alcaraz won it. And for pe- some people, you know, I think it, it depends on the person, but some people feel like you can repeat appearances at the next gen where I feel like it seems like it should just be like a one-time thing. If you qualify for the next gen, you show up, but then even if you, you qualify by age the next year, I don't think... I think it should be left for for new people. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that before. makes things more interesting with the roster to see who else is coming through. Um, otherwise, we could yep. be in a situation where like Carlos Alcaraz wins it every year. Um, every year, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. could Alcaraz or Sinner wins it every year. So I think it's more interesting giving mm-hmm. the a genuine sort of next gen a chance to kind of come through and prove themselves. Um, I've seen other sports do something similar. So um, in Formula One, there's a they're like the, the the qualifying category below Formula Two. If you win that, you cannot race in that series ever again. It's basically like you've proved you should have proved yourself. If you can't Makes get a double Formula One, that's your problem. And so it's the same thing with yeah. next gen finals. You've proved yourself. Now you've got to step up and play with the big boys. Um, no matter exactly. what age you are, I agree with that. Um, so yeah. yeah um, that's uh, the next gen finals. So I've talked about who's not there. Anastasia, who is there? So we've got eight players who are there, seven qualified, one wild card. So the qualifiers are Arthur Feast, Dominic Stricker, Fabio Colboli, and Luca Naldi. And those four players are all in the green group because it, it works just like the ATP finals. So they're two different groups. And then the second group, which is the red group, includes Luca Van Asch, Alex Mickelson, Hamad Medvedevic. I'm so sorry, I'm butchering everyone's name. And it includes the wild card, who's Abdullah Selbaha. I'm butchering all the names. I apologize. So sorry to everyone. But those are the eight players who are playing in um in the next gen ATP finals. That will be happening in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Yep, first time they're visiting there. Um, obviously, Saudi Arabia increasingly showing interest in hosting a tennis tournament. Um, so this is obviously a, a place to start for them. Um, so Jeddah, obviously, location of other sporting events taking place. Um, and that's obviously why um, the last name that you read out, whose name I've immediately forgot, um, is um, is taking part. Because obviously, whilst he's not from Saudi Arabia, he's from Jordan, um, and so they tend to give a wild card to the most promising talent from the country or closest country to it. But I think, um, for example, Sinner was a wild card in the year that he won Next Gen because it was in Milan and he's Italian. So they gave the wild card to him and he won the tournament. 
it's been in Milan since it started. It's only now moved to Jeddah. Um, so basically, yeah. a lot of Italian players came through um, and were shown off there. I think, um, you know, um, now this year, Caboli and Nardi, they're on merit. Um, Italy, Italy have got a lot of very promising young players coming through. Yeah. But yeah, I think the names on those lists, I think maybe you might recognise Arthur Fies. He, uh, there's been a bit of noise around him uh, being quite an exciting talent. Um, also, Dominic Stricker, obviously he beat Stefano Tsitsipas at the US Open, I think, this year. US Open fans might recognise him. American fans, Alex Mickelson. Um, you know, that's going to be someone that uh, our US listeners are going to be um, listening out for. I'm trying to think. Uh, there's another name in there. I, I was expected to hear Luca Van Asch. Is he not playing? He is. Luca Van Asch is playing. Okay, I missed that name. Yeah. Yeah, French. Another French player. So. I'm looking. So I like the next gen because, first of all, it is a way to sort of learn more about new and upcoming players um, who might in the future sometime um, lead the tour. Examples of past winners um, have been Carlos Alcaraz Sinner, examples of past participants. Alex de Menor, uh, Denis Shapovalov, Tiafo, Francis Tiafo has been um, a participant before. So you do tend to get names of people who later on make it into the top 100 on the tour. So it's a nice kind of introduction um, to those players. So that's one reason why I like um, the next gen. Another reason why I like next gen is they get to trial some new rules that maybe one day will be introduced into the main tour. And I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit to talk through what's being added this year and what you think of what will either make it on tour or what you think, or what you hope maybe might make it on tour. So two of the first things that they're trying out is no on-court warm-up. So that means the moment right after the coin toss, they just start playing. No warm-up. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, you know, there's a shot clock for the serve. After, if you miss the first serve, when you go to the second serve, they're now gonna, there's now going to be an eight-second clock. So no more, you can, you know, spend however long, you know, doing your second serve. You have eight seconds to do that. What do you think of those two? Okay, so worth experimenting with. I need to see how they work in practice. Um, first to second mm. serve clock. I don't mind if they don't do that because I actually quite like the tension when someone misses their first serve and they're taking a while and having to build themselves up for it, particularly on like a break point or a match point. Um, I like the tension building there is in tennis. Having said that, there are players who dig unreasonably long time, um, <laughs> who we won't name right yeah. now. Um, so I'm, I'm all for experimenting and see how it is. Um, the uh, the no on court warm up before I think the players need a warm up but doesn't necessarily need to be on camera. I'm okay with that happening sort of off court before. Um, I guess from a TV broadcast perspective, um, maybe you want to have something to build up some hype because like it's usually a great opportunity for showing stats, talking about who each player are. Um, but yeah. that on court warm up taking ten minutes is a little too long. Sort of, you only need five minutes for that, if that. So, yeah, uh, maybe the TV guys just need to do it a bit more better on the on the meantime. But yeah, certainly, if something starts a certain time and they get underway, could be good for good for it. I think both of those have been made for the benefit of TV viewers. 
Um, I'm interested to see what the experience of it will be in practice. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm open to it, but I want to see how it works. Right. So there are more, there's more, there's more. They're really trying a lot <laughs> this year. So the next two are reduced time in between points. Um, it's going to go from 25 seconds between points to 15 and then reduce changeover. So there's no longer going to be a changeover after the first game. Well, the first game isn't really a changeover. It's just, well, they swap sides. They don't sit down. They don't do a full two-minute changeover. Yeah. Um, but now they're not going to do that I, either. They're not going to swap sides. Yeah, I, they, they, you do that to kind of mitigate the conditions um, if one side's better than the other. That's why they swap sides technically. Now, it's not going to be as much of a problem indoors in Jeddah. Um, I think it's indoors. Um, yes. But I... I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I think I quite like um, having that consistency. I get why some people are going, oh, it's pointless to swap sides after one game. But um, I think the consistency of you always swap sides after every two games might end up getting confusing if it's like, well, hang on, we waited three games to swap and then it's two games. Um, at least then it's like the odd number things easy to keep track of. So I'm less keen on that. Um, but I can see why you're doing it. It's not a bad idea to try uh, necessarily. And then the other one was small shot clock between points. Um, I can see why again, but again, I feel like that's that's the one I'm most concerned about in terms of player fitness and, and health because often, like, unless you're willing to shorten the points in tennis, you know, after a long rally, the players need more than 15 seconds to recover. I appreciate there's going to be umpire's discretion, but then it becomes inconsistent. Um, so I would say yeah. 25 seconds between points is usually enough. Yeah. I, I you know, these are the main, the four main changes they're making. And I completely understand where it's coming from because it's the discussion of the time is how do we make tennis matches shorter? And if you've noticed most of these top four um, changes or introductions they want to make, it's all to make, the match faster and not take so long. And I understand what you mean in terms of, you know, sort of players recovering and things like that. But then at the same time, I think of someone like, you know, Taylor Fritz, who (laughs) he, I think he spent, he serves so fast. It's like the, usually the other player is not ready. I've watched a couple of his matches where the other player is just like, whoa, 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 you're serving already. Um, And so they are players who can, who move pretty quickly. And I don't know, you know, that might be kind of a way for them to not intimidation, but maybe it is part of their strategy where they don't take so much time in between points or in between serves. But I do understand what you're saying after like a 40 shot, you know, 50 shot rally or whatever it is, you're, you're out of breath, you know, and you maybe do need that 25 seconds to sort of um, get back into things. And also I'd like to point out that, um, with the Fritz thing, actually, you know, that 25 second room rate leaves room for mind games and that kind of strategy, whereas 15 seconds does not. And that's part of the game of tennis, yeah. which has been around for for time and memoriam. So I can think of an example I read about in a newspaper article from uh, sort of bygone years about Fred Perry, who is an eight time Grand Slam champion from the 1930s, British. Um, and he was once playing a German player um, and he deliberately turned out the inside of his pocket to put off his opponent because he knew that he liked neatness. <laughs> like 
mind games have been yeah. part of tennis forever. So, and I, I, I don't think they will go away with this rule, but I like to have more options. But, you know, it is a thing. Tennis has, they do have to solve the problem of matches being too long. Whatever it is, faster courts, doing this. I love the fact that the next gen is there for, at least on the ATP side, for them to experiment. Because there have been rules that have left um, the next gen and come into the main tour. I think actually coaching mm-hmm. was is one of the big ones where there's always been coaching allowed at next gen. Having a shot clock also came in from that. Having a shot clock as well came from that. Yes, you're right. So yeah, I'll, I'll, things do flow from next gen to, to the main tour. So it'll be interesting to see how much of this sticks, what works um, in the experiment. And, and yeah, and there is a bunch more there. Like there's a list here of almost like 10 that, that I haven't talked about yet. You know, I'll just highlight a few. There's going to be free fan movement. So no need to wait till, you know, some a game's over or whatever. You can just move whenever you like there. This is a funny one, which I don't really, I don't know why they would want to try this, but Hey, next gen, why not? But there's going to be a reduced height on the umpire chair. And that's interesting to me because I felt like their height was so that they could see the whole court and, you know, see where the ball is, but they're going to try. I have a theory about that. Well, yeah. What's your theory? It's to do with electronic line calling. If everything's electronic line calling, the umpire doesn't need to see. They just need to call the score. There you go. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think of that. I think I was just thinking of clay. I don't know why, but I was literally, when I saw this, I visualized a clay court and I was like, what if they can't see the mark? <laughs> but of course, that's why they always scamper down from the empire chair and run over to the mark. Oh, I miss clay court tennis already. But yeah, so there's a huge list. I will, you know, find a link to it and post it in our, our um, show notes so that you can take a look at it. But again, I think this will be really fun to see, you know, what sticks, what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, it seems like the young guns are even a little bit of, they're being a little bit of a guinea pigs here to practice all this, this new stuff, but it should be fun. It should be, it should be interesting. Uh, yeah. I think there's, interesting. I think I will pay attention to her, to who wins it, I guess. And, and, and yeah, it's always, this is a perfect tournament to try out new things um, because it doesn't really count for anything other than um, sort of uh, headlines. So I, I, I always say, you know, even if you don't like an idea, it's always worth a try because you could be, I'm willing to be proved wrong. Um, I want to come back on a point that you made about trying to shorten the game of tennis. And like something that I've mm. always thought about is who's asking for this? Because I think it's broadcasters asking for this. I would be interested to see if they can have any focus groups of any people who are trying to get into tennis, like the people listening to our podcast. Like, yo, tell us, do you want tennis games to be shorter or quicker? Because I don't. I quite like the fact that they're long. I think it's part of the DNA of the sport to have this space and this tension that's underlying the whole thing and the physicality of it as well, the challenge of keeping going. That's my perspective. And I'm not necessarily being shitty about it. It's what I like. Yeah. No, I think actually it's not just broadcasters, but based on this season alone, um, if we want to just keep it towards this year, I think almost the tournaments too have kind of been like, you know, they can't fit that many matches in a small space of time and they have to sell tickets for a particular, you know, group, uh, like a day, day session or a night session and things. So I think the tournaments do have a little bit of an issue trying to schedule matches 
based on how long they they go. But I do think, I mean, from my experience and just listening to people, it's actually a fan thing as well. It is a little bit of a barrier to entry for a casual fan who comes in and is now stuck in a five hour, you know, Wimbledon final. For me, super exciting. Like every moment of it, I was in there, but I'm a huge tennis fan. For someone who's just like dabbling, I think after two and a half hours, they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If I'm, and I'm just saying that from people who I watched the final with. Um, the length of some matches, I think, is a bit of a barrier to entry if you're new to the sport and you don't understand the sort of all the things you talked about, the tension, the, the, the games that players are playing and all of that. I'm sure once you become a super fan like us, you could sit down and watch, you know, a seven hour marathon of tennis. <laughs> um, but you are right. And actually, I have some sympathy with tournaments because, yeah, these athletes have moved on to a point where they are able to keep going and drag these matches out. Even a best of three to a three hour match, four hour match. Yeah, I have some sympathy with that. Um, yeah, but again, a discussion for another time. Um, so yeah, that is the next gen finals. It's coming up this week. It starts on Tuesday, actually. So you'll be listening to this podcast on Monday and it will start on Tuesday. Um, so catch it if you can. I think it will be on tennis TV. If you have that, um, uh, you can also just look up on the ATP website where it will be airing in your country. Um, usually this would be the time where we, um, go into the player of the fortnight, but first of all, because the WTA has been an off season, I think this week we were just going to preview what we're going to do in our next two podcasts. So we only have two podcasts left for this year. And something I was hoping we could do is talk about our player of the year, and also our match of the year. So this will give us time to think about it, to marinate, to pick a person, um, and also a match of the year. And we will come back to you in our next two episodes with what those are. But until then, it's been great, Nick. Another great episode of Ground Pass. Thank you, Anastasia. Always um, a pleasure. And having seen the title of this episode, I hope you choose a country soundtrack to see us out. Bye, everyone. Bye.